Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. We are going to continue setting the record straight. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is we're going to continue looking at these foundational passages um, that, that are in Scripture that tell us the way that things have been, the way that God made things, and the way that it still is. Um, one of the things that the world has always tried to do is kind of define terms for itself. We've always tried to set things the way that we want them. We've always tried to operate and function independently of the Lord. We can't do that. We think we can. We try. But as we, as we try, we find ourselves even more dependent upon God and His plan. Or we find ourselves dealing with the consequences that He has built into place when we go against His word and against His plan. So this morning, we'll actually be looking at the origin of the nations. Um, so we're going to title this A Table and a Tower um, because we're going to be looking at the nations. Um, remember, I can't pronounce words. Well, there's a chapter in here that is basically all names, and so that's going to be a, a fun little part. Just all laugh at the pastor, it'll be okay. Um, and then afterwards, uh, we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel and what, what happens there and how that occurs. So remember, the flood had wiped out all of humanity uh, except for Noah and his family. So that's what was left. And so among these nations, or, or among all of these nations, uh, one people, so all the nations that God sets out and explains, this is where they came from, this is where they came from, one nation will be chosen to carry the knowledge of the Lord to all people. And so that's kind of where we're going as we look at the table of nations. But we're also going to see just how quickly mankind could forget the flood and attempt to live independently of God. If you remember, one of the reasons that, 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 or one of the things that was said before the flood was that people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving to marriage. That's not necessarily sinful things. It's just that they were living their lives without acknowledging the one true God. And because of that, God destroyed the world. And so people, again, are going to ignore God. They're going to try to act independently of God. And it is, once again, going to lead to bad things. It's going to lead to trouble. So the prevailing idea of the world is that people are basically good. That's the general idea that people have. People are basically good. And a careful study of Scripture will reveal that we are thoroughly sinful. And that is what we need to remember when we, when we try to think, oh, well, people are good, so they won't do this, or people are good, so they won't do that. That's not true. That's not scriptural. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we and our heart the heart of man is deceitful above all things. We think to, to Genesis where it says that every thought of mankind was always evil continually. And so that is what we are. And God is redeeming us from that. He is changing us from that. He is growing us from that. But that is where we start. So the sermon in a sentence is this. Despite the dark nature um, or the dark sin nature of mankind, God's plan to redeem us has marched through the generations. So I'm going to give this my best shot here, uh, Genesis chapter 10 uh, and chapter 11 all the way through verse 9. So Genesis chapter 10 um, through all the names and then Genesis chapter 11 all the way through verse 9. Okay, so it says, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, uh, Meshesh, and Tiris, the sons of Gomer, um, Ashkenaz, Ripta, and Togarmora. They hadn't invented Bill yet, so that's kind of what they got to go with. The sons of Javon are Elash, um, Tarshish, Kittim, and uh, Domanin. Uh, from these, 
the coastline peoples spread on in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Push, Canaan. The sons of Cush, Sheba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramana, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Another translation might be a mighty hunter uh, man, but he's going to be one of your first like kings or, or rulers of a lot of people. And so we'll remember Nimrod. Um, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, uh, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Just so you know, we're talking about Mesopotamia. We're talking about that area, the, the land between the rivers, so to speak. Um, that's, that's where he's at there. Uh, uh, from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, um, Reboth-ir, uh, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. Uh, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludon, Anam, Lebim and Naphtuhim. Um, uh, and then uh, Partrician Kalhushim, uh, from whom the Philistines came. They've always been trouble, even in their early names. Um, Caphthorn, uh, Canaan, fathered Sidon, uh, and, he, and his firstborn is Heth. And the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites and the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zimmerites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites exceeded, extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboin, as far as Lashha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Geter, or Gether, and Mash. Arpshathad um, fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was uh, Peleg, from, for, his days, the earth, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shel, ends with a PH sound, I don't know how to do that, um, Hazarmathith, Jerad, Hadoram, Uzal. Uh, okay, so he had a whole bunch of kin folks. Verse 30, the territory in which they lived extended from Misha in the direction of um, Shepar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, by their clans, their languages, and their lands, and their nations. 
These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So that was kind of like the whole story getting you to basically Abraham's uh, great-grandfather. Um, but now there's kind of like a parenthesis. So how did they spread? Why did they spread? Why did they have different language? Why did they have different clans? This little paragraph here is what helps us to see this. Okay, so it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitum for mortar. It literally is slime. That's gross, and I thought you wanted to know that. Um, but that's what they use for mortar. And they said, Come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Um, notice that that's exactly what God wanted them to do, be fruitful and multiply the earth. So let's do this just in case or, or so that we don't get you know, obedient to God by accident. Um, verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Okay. So let's talk about this table of nations. That's kind of what it's referred to most of the time. Um, so it's an account of the descendants of Noah's sons. Um, but it's a little more than that. So this genealogy is meant to tell us how the world came to be populated. So you see where the different nations of the earth came from as we read this. Um, it presents the genealogies in the order of Japheth. Ham, and then Shem. Uh, so that Shem is, um, and, and, and Shem is Israel's ancestor. He is Abraham's ancestor. And so he comes last so that the narrative flows straight into Abraham. That's kind of the, the way of it. Um, and so the flood story is followed by this continuation, this table of nations where um, we see where the nations, where each um, son of Noah, where his family and where his descendants lived and where they, they went afterwards. Um, and, and so we, it's kind of divided into these three groups. Uh, and these tables include both the names of ancestors of nations and the names of the nations themselves. Sometimes these are nations that we know about, like some of them are really easy and some of them are nations that, that history doesn't even know about. There's no research on these, um, and so those we won't spend much time. But I'll just mention some of these and tell you kind of how they come down. So um, Japheth was the father of the countries, and so this is the kind of the mountainous belt of uh, Asia Minor. So I think kind of like Turkey and up, so that mountainous belt um, up that way. Um, but it extends from the Caspian Sea all the way um, westward to the Mediterranean coast, along with the islands that are there like Cyprus, uh, places like that. Um, so I'm just going to hit some notable names of people that came from Japheth, just so that you can kind of see what kind of countries and what kind of folks came from there. Okay, so um, he would have been the father of the Medes. You think about the Medes and the Persians, he would have been the father of the Medes. He would have also been the father of the Greeks 
and those that lived on Cyprus. And so you think about the Medes, you think about the Greeks. Think about the fact that the Greeks and the Persians were big-time enemies. And they, they fought each other, and, and eventually the Greeks won. The Persians won once, and the Greeks won. So think about that for a minute, and they are from the same family line. It's just very interesting to me. Um, you got the Sumerians, who settled in kind of Asia Minor, south of the Black Sea. Um, you've got... Um, uh, you've got some, some folks that settled in southern Spain there, the Tartius, that would have been um, the Tarsus that Paul didn't come from, that would have been the Tarsus in southern Spain. Um, or maybe it's referring to Carthage, you know, the, 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 the enemy of the Romans before they actually became an empire, may have been referring to Carthage. Um, you also have the inhabitants of the Aegean Isles and Rhodes. And so this is, this is kind of where they come from. And, and the, to think about it, so... So um, Japheth is, is kind of the progenitor of Europeans. If you want to think about it in those terms, so Europeans that direction, and, and in my mind, I'm looking at a map and Israel's in the center of it, so Europeans going that direction, so Turkey, Greece, Spain, all that direction, he is the, he is the beginning of all of those kind of folks. That, obviously, because of the, way that, that, um, the way that things went later in history, that means that, that his line extends... Like, we would be part of his line. We, we, this, is, this is where many of us would come from, is from that European side of things. And so that's, that's where he, he and his family comes from. Now, Ham. Ham was the father of Egypt. Uh, but remember, remember the curse on Ham. Ham was the one that, that saw the father, uh, uh, Noah, and, and there was a curse on him, but specifically on him and Canaan. So it wasn't necessarily all of uh, his sons, but it was specifically Canaan that the curse was on. So Ham was the father of Egypt, Libya, Nubia, or, or Cush, whichever you prefer, and then Canaan. And so th those are some of the nations. We'll talk about a few more, but those are some of the nations. So you're talking about the Middle East itself. And so that's, that's where it is. And you know that God's people live in the Middle East, like in the land of Israel, but they didn't start there. They actually started in, the, in, the, in Mesopotamia and came over. And so that's kind of, that, that kind of helps us understand how God or, ordered and organized things. And so this is Egypt. This is Canaan. This is southern Arabia. This is some Mesopotamia, like southern Mesopotamia. Um, this is also where you get the Philistines and that long list of folks, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, the Canaanites, um, all of these folks come from that area, and also the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were sailors. They were, they were kind of the sea people that kind of controlled the, the, the Mediterranean, really, until the Romans took control of it. Um, so they were a very famous people back in those days. Um, but you've also got, so northern Africa, you've got Israel, you've got, you've got the kind of Syria area, and you've got the, almost the pirates of the Mediterranean, if you will. So you've got all of those folks, that, that, that's, where, that's where Ham and his descendants were. Remember there's a specific curse from Noah resting on the people of Canaan. And so then finally, we get down, uh, well anyway, within his, his line is also Nimrod. Now when it says Nimrod, and you know, obviously now we hear that and it sounds almost like an insult, but he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, probably it refers more to being a hunter of men, uh, but a mighty man because he was a ruler and a leader of men. He was one of the first of like the kings or the emperors, so to speak, that had authority over people. And he's the one that, that we understand is leading this this, this push towards creating this tower in chapter 11. Um, so that would be kind of his background and his setup. 
So the kingdom that he created actually stretched from Mesopotamia uh, to Nineveh. Um, and so it is, it is a larger, larger empire, so to speak. It would have been smaller cities that had, had been independent city-states that he would have kind of annexed, if you will, into something resembling an empire in those days. And so that would be reasonably impressive for a person that far back to be empire-building at that time. So then we get to Shem. Now, Shem was the father of the Hebrews. Um, and so that's very important because we see that, that we, have, we have got the, the, the Europeans, we've got Middle East, Africa in that range, and then we've got Mesopotamia in, in, over, over here. So Shem and his descendants kind of went towards um, Assyria to the north and then Mesopotamia uh, toward the east. Uh, so, so Assyria, Syria, uh, northern Mesopotamia, Eber is the uh, progenitor or the, uh, the beginning of the Hebrew race, so to speak. If you trace it down to Abraham, he is the beginner of the Hebrew race. Now, there's a lot about Shem's line that you just don't know in terms of where those people are, what nations or kingdoms that actually refers to. Um, it, just, it just is very difficult to, to say. Now, where it references the division of the earth during the uh, Peleg's um, life, probably has to do with, it was his, he was the one that was alive when the Tower of Babel and that event actually happened where you got the different languages. Um, so these, um, the, these, this table of nation brings kind of the close of what you would consider like primeval history. So, so one man kind of being a family into himself and that family also being a nation. This kind of brings that to a close and it ends with Shem so that it points to the Hebrews. It points towards Abraham and obviously God's um, purposes with Abraham to, to proclaim to all mankind uh, who he is. And so that's why Shem is mentioned last. So what's the theological value of this? So one, it affirms that Israel is one of many nations. God chose Israel, but it wasn't necessarily because Israel was special or because they were somehow um, different. God set them apart, but they were apart. So it's, it's as if he pulled them out and set them as special, although they had not been special. And I think that's something that's very, very important for us to remember that that's how God works. Okay, so for, for us, you might say, well, I am not special. I'm not different from everyone else. But God, when he chooses you, he pulls you out of the, the group. He sets you apart and he makes you special. He does a very special thing in your life that is going to benefit the lives of everyone else, just like he did with Israel. And so the other thing that this shows us is that God is the one that ordained all these kingdoms. You say, well, why, why is there mean people that live here or mean people that live there? You know, you look at Russia-Ukraine thing right now. Why, why are they there and why are they so mean and different things like that? Well, God has, has ordained these kingdoms. He has ordained these nations and he has put them in the world. But we also have to remember that God chose Israel to be a light to, to proclaim God. And then he has made the church. And in the church, we are to be a light and to proclaim God. So there is definitely darkness in the world, and our job is to combat that darkness with the light of God's Word. And so when we look at all these nations, we need to remember, they are here, they came from the same kind of place that Israel came from, God set them apart, and, and, and Israel was supposed to shed light, and that mission continues on to us to this day. So Israel had much more in common with their neighbors than they had differences with their neighbors, and that's important for us to remember. Um, and so that kind of helps us understand that. So 
let's move on to the tower. The tower is a story. It's something we can wrap our heads around, and then we can kind of dig into this. Um, in the Tower of Babel, sin expresses itself as pride and ambition, and we've seen this before. In fact, the sin of the Tower of Babel is not unlike the original sin of, of taking the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not unlike that, because the, the desire is to be equal with God, to become like God himself. Um, so God scatters these nations, and, and you might ask yourself, why did he scatter the nations, and why was he angry um, about this particular sin and, and what the people did? So let's look into it and see what actually happened. So this was a scheme, and that's really what it was. It was a scheme of man, um, and, and their goal was to become independent of God. You know, there are definite similarities between the scheme of Nimrod and, and, and all of his folks and, and what we see today, people trying to be independent of God in one way or the other. We build all of these things around us that, 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 that meet needs that God has met for generations. We build all these things to do that so that we become independent of God. And certainly um, that seemed to be what was going on here. So the building of the tower proved that mankind learned absolutely nothing from the flood. Let's be like God. Let's be equals with God. Or let's just become gods ourselves. It's all part of what they should have learned at, during the flood. So it seems that for a while, and it makes total sense, Noah and his family and his sons, they inhabited the area where the ark came to rest. And, and they began to kind of populate and grow, and, and, and their nations began to grow. And that kind of makes sense. But when they moved, it seems like they moved together as a, as a migration of a herd rather than spreading as people um, were supposed to do during that time. So they came to rest in, in kind of the lower portion of uh, Mesopotamia. It's always been kind of known as the cradle of civilization uh, because it definitely was the first kingdom. It was the first empire, which would be civilization. So it became to be known that. Now, God had told them to spread, to, to fill the earth, to spread out and fill the earth, and that was the command that they were breaking. So they came up with this idea to build an empire, to have a mighty capital city, and in that capital city to build a tower that would reach to the heavens to defy God. That was what their goal was. Now, in this region, archaeologists have found many towers. Um, which one's Babel? Babel, who knows? But they were called ziggurats, and they were, they were earthen towers. And so when you read the description of the Tower of Babel, they made their bricks basically out of mud. There wasn't so, stone suitable to build with, so they made their bricks out of mud. This um, bitum that they had, it really is a slime that they used to kind of make the mortar, and so they would have been wide at the top, they would have worked their way up, you would have seen it in kind of layers. You can Google ziggurat and you'll see what they look like. Um, it spells like it sounds, which is always easy for folks like me, um, but you can, you can see what this would have looked like, and the Tower of Babel may have been kind of a, 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 a early model of this, so to speak, or I guess it would have been the first one for sure, um, and as they built this thing, the goal was really to make themselves like gods. And so if you think about, what could I do if, if I was on a place with, you know, nothing? I, had, I, I did not have, you know, cranes. I did not have metalworks. I did not have all the things that we have now to build big buildings. Wouldn't it be impressive for somebody to be able to build a tall building? Like, that would be an impressive feat. That would have been something that would have made you feel prestigious. And so that was what the goal was. Let us make ourselves into something. Let us make ourselves important. Let us make our names remembered down through the generations. By this point, people would have known that everybody lives and everybody dies. 
And so the only way to really matter in the long run is to be remembered. And you'll be remembered so long as people can look at this marvel that you have built and remember you. The Roman Empire was remembered because people saw the things that they built. They knew that they couldn't do anything like that. And so the Romans were almost gods in people's minds. And the same thing is, is what was desired by these people here in the cradle of civilization was to build something that people would remember them down through the centuries as something like a god. So why was this sin so serious? And so we're going to look at this. There's three things. One, the people were filled with pride and self-centeredness. That was, that was, that was kind of how they were. So they, they, were, they were prideful. They were self-centered. Let us make us a name for ourselves. Let us make us like God. Let us build this tower. It was all about them, and it was all about how they could become great. Uh, they thought that through human effort, they could become like God. And so that's where the sin comes in. The second thing is that um, by this activity, people aim to unify themselves so that they would not be scattered abroad. They knew by this point strength was in numbers, and the more numbers they had, hopefully the stronger they would be. So they wanted to unify themselves around this. The only thing that should unify us like that is God. So yeah, you got families, but the only thing that should really unify you is God. And so for them to be unified around their work, that makes it sinful. Um, the, the truth is they were trying to break God's law, his, his directive to be fruitful and multiply. They were trying to break that so that, so that they would not be um, split up. And then finally, the thing that kind of makes this interesting is what they thought when they thought they had reached the pinnacle of human technology, when they thought they'd reached the, the pinnacle of what mankind can do, God had to come down so he could see it. And it points out the puniness of what man had done. Was this tower like the crowning achievement of human technology? Well, at the time, yes, it was. But was it impressive? No, God had to come down and see it, and he looked at it, and he said, this is only the beginning of what they can do. If they put their minds to it, nothing will be impossible to them. So this was just the beginning. They thought it was something to be proud of. God thought it was the beginning of something. And so because of that, God has to uh, split their languages up. He has to divide them. Um, and so here's the thing. Why did God choose to, to introduce languages at this time? Why not just knock over the tower? Well, a tower can be rebuilt. Um, and as long as people had that, that, that community where they could continue to talk, they had that rebellious nature where they were going to go against God, then they were going to continue to do more and more things, more bold and audacious things, more prideful things, more self-centered things. They were going to continue to do more until they eventually created even more disaster and trouble in the world. Um, so that was what the goal was, was spread them out into their languages, confuse their languages. They can't talk to each other. They will spread at that point. And so that's what God does. So on the face of this narrative, it's where we get our languages from. Why did, why did you know, one family, Noah and his sons, why did they develop multiple languages? Well, this answers that question. It was God that gave them these languages and spread them out. But, but a little bit deeper, the real message is that sin led to divine judgment and a broken community. And that's what it was, because they had community, they had the ability to kind of converse with one another, but they wanted to elevate themselves. They wanted to make themselves great, make themselves kings, and because of that, or make themselves gods, and so because of that, God spread them out. Uh, what was meant to be a monument to human ingenuity uh, turned out to be a symbol of divine judgment on human pride. And so that's, that's what we see. So, this was actually quick. Okay, so conclusion. God made us, yet we doubt his kind intentions toward us. Okay, so God made 
you and me. But the problem is, is we're always wondering, is this really good for me? Just like in the Garden of Eden, you know, Satan said, you know, God really just doesn't want you to have this because you would know like God. And so we doubt God's kindness, we doubt his goodness, and so that's one of the reasons that we act out instead of acting in faith. God is present in our lives, but we totally ignore him. This is another problem of humanity. God is here, God is with us even now, but we live as if he is not. And that is a major problem for us. You know, they were acting as if they were going to reach God, like God was somewhere else. They were going to reach him. But God came down and said, hey, here I am. Now try to talk to each other. And so God is the ruler of everything, yet we constantly try to replace him. Think about how many things we elevate into the position that only God should inhabit. Whatever it is, we put things in God's position, even though they shouldn't be. So as believers, here's what we should do. We should ensure that God occupies the rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. And so let me offer this to you in closing. We are always going to pass down culture to the next generation. That's, that's how it's done. Okay? There are some breaks. There are some times where culture drastically changes from one generation to the next. But we're pretty much going to pass things down. Okay, so if we pass down to our children that God is a part of our lives... Well, as it goes down to the next generation, it's going to get watered down. And it's going to keep getting watered down and keep watering down. But if we pass down to the next generation that God is the center of our life, He is the foundation, He is everything to us, we turn to Him for everything, we trust Him with everything, we depend on Him for everything, we pass that down, that is a foundation that can be stronger. You see, as we talk about all these generations... They get further and further away from Noah and Shem, Ham and Japheth, and they get further away from God. And then God calls one of them back. He calls Abraham back. And so what we have to realize is that we're going to be passing things down to the next generation. We need to make sure that we're passing down a faithfulness to God. Not God is part of our lives. God is, you know, sometimes in our lives, but God is central in our lives. That is the only way that passes down and works. Because otherwise, you know, your kids pick up on what's really important to you. If your kids aren't seeing God being important to you, then it, he won't be important to them. And so that then becomes a major problem. And even worse, if they see that he's not important to you, they read the Bible and they see that in, in the Bible, Jesus says, take up your cross daily you know, and follow after me. And they say, well, mom and dad doesn't do that. That becomes a major problem. So what we have to realize is that we're passing this down one generation to a next. Okay, and so when we're showing God to our children, to the next generation, children, grandchildren, on down the line, it has to be that consistent message. He's first. He's first. Because if he's not first, he won't be first in their lives. In a generation or two, he won't be in their lives at all. Look now. Look now. There's just not many people that put God first. There's not many people that include God. And we have to be the ones that share that. We have to be the ones that proclaim that. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to make you first in our lives. To make you central. Because we do not we do not have much time as far as generations go. We look at this world and they are twisting and turning. They're to say they're acting independently is, is not even enough. This world is morally bankrupt. Only you can save. I pray that we will let your light shine in us. That we will show the world 
that You are important to us, that You are central to us. Once You judged the world with water because everybody's thoughts were always evil. Once You confounded the world's language because they were trying to replace You. And we look at our world now and we see evil in the hearts of man and we definitely see that people are trying to replace You. We know that judgment is coming. I pray that we can be the voices, the ones that are sharing light. And when your time comes, when, when, when it is your appointed time, that we will be counted among the faithful workers that did all that we could to declare your truth to this world. Because without that truth, they will all perish. I pray that we can be a part of salvation in at least some people's lives as they follow after You, as they recognize Your truth and follow after You. Make us faithful in that. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.